Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Loyalty implies emotion. And so if you are, are not managing the emotional side of it, then you are, are not giving yourself any room for loyalty to form. So I think that's a, a great bit of advice to start off with. What are their ambitions? Do they just want a quiet life? Do they want promotion? And how can you help them? You've got to discover the true motivation of what that person is trying to get out of it. Don't muddle inertia with loyalty. There are too many organizations that sit there and look at how long customers have been with them and think to themselves, they've got loyal customers and they haven't. Ryan, we have another pickle. I love the pickles. What do we get this time? We have got, and this is even better because this is right up my street. This is, we have a pickle from Gad Boba from Israel. And Gad has actually recorded his pickle. You can do that now because all you need to do, dear listener, is go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle you'll see a big red button there just press the button tell us what your pickle is that comes to us and you get to appear on the show just like gad bobber has done from israel well let's hear him hello my question is coming from a, a machine learning company we have a client that is interested in creating more stickiness or more loyalty to his own B2B clients. And he is selling raw materials, which sounds like something that is more difficult to distinguish or to be special at. And the question is, how can we create a loyalty or stickiness to his customers? Is it possible to treat B2B and B2C similarly? Can you refer me to resources in that direction? Thank you. All right, Colin. Well, that is a nice pickle for us to tackle here. I'm, I'm tackling pickles. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling <laughs> with this metaphor. Um, I don't know. Um, I can imagine. The ta- I tell you what, that would be great to get us to take a bite of. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to get the team to think of this image for social media as an image, you know, with a, with a uh, playing football. That's American football, not English football, with a pickle and they're tackling him. How about that? That was a lot of words to say, Ryan, you don't make any sense, but yes. Okay. Good point. Well, Mike. Um, Yeah, no. So I don't think this is an uncommon problem. Um, I think that he, you know, God God put it within um, a specific context of the industry he's working in, which is great. But I think, I think God, you are not alone in this. This is a common problem, especially in B2B. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and this is one of the reasons why we, we chose this. So creating loyalty, creating stickiness, in the B2B world, 
and one of the questions that Gad asks is, is it possible to treat B2B and B2C similarly? Let me deal with that one straight away. The answer is yes. Okay, end, end of podcast. We can go home now. <laughs> so the answer to that is yes. And why is it possible to treat B2B and B2C the same? Well, guess what, mate? They're both human beings, Yeah. So we get tied up in knots, in my opinion, about thinking about some of the differences. And are there differences? So absolutely. And, and let me also be clear, I spent most of my life in the B2B world. I've actually, uh, only since doing Beyond Philosophy, which is 20 years, so it's quite a significant part. But you know what? Even in Beyond Philosophy, the majority of our customers, something like 60%, are in the B2B space. And prior to that, I was in B2B. So there are differences, and we'll talk about those differences. But just get in your brain, customers are people, whether they're B2B or B2C customers. So let's get into some of that detail. And Ryan and I have created a list of of things that we want to talk about. So the first one for me is about this concept of an emotional bank account. And we've talked about this before, but for those listeners that haven't heard me talk about this, this is from the the great Steve Covey, Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you haven't read the book, it's an old book, but well worth a read. And he talks about this concept of having an emotional bank account. And that means that you put deposits, emotional deposits, into an emotional bank account and you end up getting credits. So when you do something wrong and the customer doesn't like it, okay, they take a credit away from that emotional bank account that they've got with you. But if you've built that account up over a period of time by doing things for the customer, then they won't leave you, okay? You know, they will stay with you going back to your question, Gad, they will stay loyal to you. It's organizations that don't make those investments into that emotional bank account. And then something goes wrong, as it will do, because it's just life, basically. And when that happens, you then start to enter into minus credits or being overdrawn. That's when you start to have a problem. Do you agree with that, Ryan? Absolutely. I mean, when we talk about loyalty, or stickiness, which I think is just a, a different way of saying loyalty. Loyalty is an emotional, relational concept. Yeah. So if we were all cold, rational robots, as a lot of economic models assume that we are, there would be no loyalty. Each transaction would be evaluated in such a way as to maximize utility, and, and we would be deciding everything afresh each time. Loyalty implies emotion. And so if you are are not managing the emotional side of it, then you are, are not giving yourself any room for loyalty to form. So I think that's a, a great bit of advice to start off with. The way I always look at this, and sometimes I, you know, I, I think this is so simple that I'm surprised that people, organizations miss this. Just to, to think about your own personal relationships. So I've been married to my wife, Lorraine, now for 40 years, okay? And if you start to examine your relationship, so, you know, when I examine my relationship with Lorraine, what do I do 
What deposits have we have I made into Lorraine's emotional bank account? Well, I do things for her, okay? And let me also say Lorraine does things back to me. Without her knowing about them, I take care of her. I care for her as a person. And these are some of the questions that we ask. We did a lot of work for one of the world's largest construction equipment companies. And when you're into construction equipment, clearly you would think of the things that keep their clients loyal are things like resale value of the equipment, things like, you know, fair pricing, things like... Durability and Yeah, absolutely. You know, all all those things. And what we discovered through this emotional signature research that we do with clients is we discovered that the thing that drove most value was caring for them as a person, caring for the construction equipment company's clients as a person. Yeah. Not the were things like resale value and everything else important. Yeah, they're important, but not as important as caring for them as a person. I would encourage you to think about the relationships that you have personally and think about what it is that makes that person that you have that relationship with loyal. What is it you do to them? What is it they do to you that keep you a friend with that person? Keep going back for for more. And then think, how do I apply that in the business setting in my B2B setting? I love it. The next area is... And this is quite a simple one, but again, I'm surprised at how people don't do this. And that is, do what you say you're going to do. And again, I go back to my background in B2B for years, used to be employed by British Telecom, one of the largest telecommunications companies, well, certainly in the in the UK and at the time around the world. It was 20 years ago, so I don't know if they still are. But the relationship that you have with your customer how do you know if you can trust somebody? Yeah. Well, if you turn around and say, I'll get back to you by Thursday and let you know what the situation is. If you don't do that, it's a little sign that they can't trust you. I would encourage you just, even if you haven't got the information, just to, to contact them and go, hey, I said I'd get back to you by Thursday. Actually, I haven't got the information, but I just wanted to let you know I'm still working on it. It will be with you by Monday you've got to do what you say you're going to do because it's from those little foundations where people can start to go, I trust you. And then I care for you. And actually, if you could see my hands now, I'm moving up a hierarchy here. And that's so it's trust at the bottom, it's cared for. And that now it's starting to go. So now I'm starting to enter into that sort of loyalty zone, where because of those things, I'm forming loyalty. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. It's it's hard to imagine being loyal to a person or organization that you don't trust and that you don't feel cares for you. So yeah, I, I think that's an important point. Like, are we building the foundation that allows for loyalty to be formed? It's actually interesting as you say that, mate. I was actually thinking of politics because certainly in the UK, people say that, and this is, typically, that they don't trust politicians 
Yeah, that's not just in the UK. But yeah. <laughs> no, I know that's pretty global. But they trust their local MP. Yes, that's that's also not just in the UK. That's yeah, universal. and I thought it was pretty universal. So again, think about that from a business context. You may work for a company. They may work for a company that they don't particularly like. Yeah. Mm. But do they trust you as the individual that's either the account manager or part of the team that interacts with their customer? And the reason that they will stay with you is because of the team that are working on that account. And let me emphasize here the word team, because the worst thing that can happen is you have the salespeople saying one thing. Yeah. You have the technical support people saying something else. You have the customer service people saying something else. I always remember John Cleese. Do you remember John Cleese? Oh, yeah. Sure. He did this great series back in the, I think it was the 90s, a business series on um, how to deal with customers and stuff like that. I can't remember what it was called. But I always remember him doing one that I looked at, which was the classic engineer, yeah, who came round and went, who sold you this then? You know, <laughs> oh, well, they shouldn't have sold you the Hokey Cokey 4000. You know, oh, that, that's the only reason they sold you that is because they get massive commission and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So the point I'm trying to make is the loyalty for the company is also built around the fact that they can see the communications happening between the team members and they're speaking with one voice and they're supporting each other and all those other wonderful things. When you work within a business, all of the different departments within the business seem very distinct to you because you may not even be in that building more than once every six months. And so you consider from the customer's point of view, it's all the same entity. They don't care which department they're talking to. They're talking to the business. And so to the extent we can actually appreciate that customer's perspective on that, uh, we will serve them much better. Here is Anna talking on the show. Hi, Colin and Ryan. I'm in a pickle. How do you operationalize your journey mapping? We don't want CX to become some fluffy thing that is not practical enough. Therefore, we want practical steps on how to get started the right way. Thank you. Anna's pickle was wonderful. Would you like to appear on the show just like Anna did? If you want to record your pickle, go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle and look for the big red record button. We'd love to hear from you too. So the next one down the list that I've got here is be yourself. Don't try and be something that you're not because the difference in B2B and B2C is you do get to know customers over a period of time. You know, again, if I think back to my time in telecoms, we would be dealing with the top 150 organizations and they would sign up deals for telephone lines for three years, five years, and you would be managing that account or being the, the primary interface into that account for that period of time. And they get to know you and you've got to be yourself. You can't pretend to be somebody. The other thing as part of that is when you're sort of being yourself is, I would really encourage you to create loyalty is to discover what customers, what they really want. What is it they, what are their ambitions? 
Do they just want a quiet life? Do they want promotion? And how can you help them? You've got to discover the true motivation of what that person is trying to get out of it or do within not just your relationship, but we would have people that you could see were very ambitious and therefore anything we could do to help them look good was good. And I say this to our our clients, our job is to help you look good. Because if you're choosing a supplier and that supplier then mucks up, it's a reflection upon the person that's made the decision to bring them in. So you've really got to find out what the customer is trying to do longer term and walk in their shoes and think to yourself, how will this affect them and how can I help them achieve their goals? Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. So this was an item that Colin added to our our list here. And based on your notes, Colin, I'd assumed where you were going with this was kind of the old story that customers don't always tell you what they really want. And sometimes they don't even know what they want. And so you need to figure it out, which is good advice. And I, I back that up. But you're you're talking about something a little bit more subtle here. So when we're selling to a consumer, so in a B2C context, there's kind of, even if we're talking about like a household that we're selling to, there's kind of like one source of utility, like one set of needs that can be met. When you're selling to a business though, even though it is people, it's a collection of people. And so yeah. the business has needs. And so, you know, if it's a telephone system, you want to be able to sell that telephone system based on the properties of the service and the the lines and, and the quality and all that kind of stuff. But now you're also talking about the fact that within that organization, there are now individuals who also have individual needs. A lot of times those aren't going to be in conflict necessarily, but as you say, this person within the business might have certain needs for their telephone system, but then they also have personal needs for their career, their emotional state. Maybe they just, they can't handle another stressor in their life right now. Yeah, and no, absolutely. to the extent you can build loyalty, you know, you can build loyalty at the organizational level, but I think the point you're raising here is there's also the opportunity to build loyalty interpersonally by understanding not just the needs of the client as an organization, but also as many touch points as you can manage within the organization and making making the organization happy and then making those individuals happy too. I think that's a great insight. It's really cool. Yeah, thank you. The interesting bit is as you were talking, I was casting my mind back. And one of the other things is you've actually got to try to understand the organization's politics. Yes. Because within there, and obviously the further up you go and the further your contact, you've got to understand the political pressures that that person is under. Yeah. You've got to put yourself in their shoes and think to yourself, how can I help them achieve their goals? And some of those goals may even be their political goals. Clearly, you shouldn't be doing anything that's wrong. And there is a danger in entering the politics because your person may lose. (laughs) Uh, And if they lose, that may mean that you lose. But you've got to understand that environment, I guess, is is the best thing to say. Even if it's not about getting involved in the politics, it may be very useful in terms of avoiding landmines. Well, uh, yeah, ignorant of the politics. Yeah, we've done a podcast, didn't we, a little while ago? We'll try and put the link in the show notes of understanding company politics. Okay, 
because I'm always surprised that there doesn't seem to be a lot written about how to deal with company politics. The minimum you've got to do is you've got to understand it. The minimum you've got to do from that building loyalty is you've got to understand that, I don't know, the outage that you've just had politically affects that your customer. And it's therefore taken not just one credit out of your emotional bank account, but five, right. because it was a big issue for them. And therefore, by definition, going back to the beginning, you've got to have made those deposits in there because sometimes that will happen. And GAD is a machine learning company. They're going to be, particularly with that newer technology, there's going to be problems and everything else that's coming along. This is a really good pickle because there's so much good <laughs> stuff in, in your here. So thanks, GAD, for, for bringing this up. next one down the line is don't let people walk over you to build loyal customers over a period of time loyalty does not mean that you do everything the customer wants okay the customer has to understand as well that there's win-win and in fact one of the last pickles that we've done and again we'll put a link in the show notes was about how to get to the point where you actually turn around and go, having this customer is no longer viable for us for whatever reason, yeah? And listen to that podcast because you're, you're, hopefully that will help you. You can't let your customer think that you're a walkover and that you are just going to give them all the resources and everything that you want because at the end of the day, you will go down in their estimations and they won't be loyal to you if you do that. Sometimes you've got to deliver bad news to a to a customer, knowing that it will take one or two credits out of your emotional bank account. But you've also got to do that because at the end of the day, you're employed by your organization and you're trying to create that win-win. Yeah. Loyalty is a relationship. No, nobody's loyal to their doormat. Yes. And, and that ties into the next one, which is be in it for the long term. Okay. And maybe a little bit contrary to what we just said there, but I guess the key word in the last bit for me was about the respect. Sometimes you have to take a short-term hit for a long-term gain, okay? And let, let me give you an example from my past that may help. So we were selling, or the organization that I worked with, So, and, and to create that team, you had an organization that was made up of sales, marketing, customer service, you know, and engineers and all that, all that type of stuff. And basically, we were selling telephone circuits and packages into, into that marketplace, okay? And customers would sign up for them over a three to five year period. And then what would happen is because competition in the market, the prices would come down after the three years, being the incumbent, you know, you're always going to be the, the most expensive. People were trying to break into the market, steal your customers away from you. So they would come along with much cheaper prices. So we found that after that three-year period, what would happen is the customers would then say, hey, we're going somewhere else because they've offered us at this price. How did we overcome that? Well, what we did was over that period of that three years, we used to do things for customers that were over and above what the customer had contracted for. But what we used to do was we used to make a note of that. We used to estimate the cost of that. 
And we used to include that in the monthly report we would send to the customer to effectively go, here's what the contract said. This is what we've done. We estimate the cost of what we've done as being X. Yeah, We are not charging you for this. Just recognize the fact that we are doing this free of charge for you over and above the contract. Then when it comes to the end of the three years, you can then turn around and turn around and say to the customer, hey, look, look at all the money we've done, saved you. So yes, unit by unit cost, that may, they may be cheaper than we are, but look at all the other things that we've done for you and look at the cost of that. And you would still get customers that would leave. But the interesting bit was a number of them, and I would say it was high as like 50%, would come back to you because they didn't realize or appreciate all of the additional work that you had done for them. And therefore, taking that short-term hit for a longer-term gain is a really important concept or thought process or lens to, to look things through. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I love that. There's an additional wrinkle there too about speaking in the language that customers are making their decisions. So a lot of times we assume that customers are fully aware of everything that we're doing all the time and will eventually appreciate it. And it could be that it's it's just because it's not their priority, they're, they don't realize it or don't think about it. Not because they're, they're being terrible people or terrible customers, but because they've got their own jobs to worry about. So yeah, making sure that what you're doing is appreciated and then also having a long-term perspective around that. And that tied into your next one, wasn't it? Which was around uh, experience. Yeah. So one problem that I uh, see companies running into in the B2B space is that they're, this is certainly not true of everything. And and honestly, Gad, if you're in machine learning space, this is probably not something that is affecting you right now. But a, a lot of B2B spaces, there's this kind of rush towards commoditization where we're offering the same raw materials or we're offering um, kind of the very similar machine parts or whatever it is. And it becomes very difficult to distinguish your offering at that point. Um, you know, they're all kind of more or less the same. And, and in that case, firms often just kind of default to competing on price. And that's no way to build loyalty. So the key there is to not just focus narrowly on the product itself or the surface itself, but instead to consider the experience and try to compete on the experience. And that then incorporates all the other advice that we've already laid out there. So we're competing not just on this widget that I'm selling to other companies. We're competing on the entire process of the buying experience the receiving experience, the installation experience, the service experience, the reordering, it's all of those things that build an entire experience. So you and I could be selling exactly identical products, Colin, but if you make your entire experience just so much more pleasant and so much more frictionless and so much easier to deal with, then you are going to win out on those bids over me over time, even if our prices are the same and our, the specs on our widgets are the same because you're competing on on experience and I'm just competing on the product and the price. Yes, no, absolutely. I, and I would argue everything we've talked about before, you know, all the other points are effectively about the experience that you're providing the organization. I agree completely, yeah. 
Last one, and this for me is an important one. Again, Ryan and I have talked about this in the past. But, you know, once you've got there, if you like, and you've got these customers that are coming back to you time after time, don't muddle inertia with loyalty, okay? There are too many organizations that sit there and look at how long customers have been with them and think to themselves, they've got loyal customers and they haven't. What they've got is a group of customers that would find it difficult to move, okay, or who can't be bothered to move. And again, I don't know your area well enough or what you do, Gad, well enough to be able to comment on this, but if your product or service is difficult to change, on one side of it, that's good news, because once you've got the customer, you've got them, but That doesn't mean to say you should still be working on that loyalty factor, but you've got to factor in how loyal they are. And you've got to factor in the fact that that inertia may be there. And the danger is, is that somebody will come along with a much better system that's a lot easier or cheaper, whatever it may be, all the things that Ryan's just said, and then you're screwed. You've really got to be working on that customer loyalty, even if your product is difficult for somebody to replace. Gad, I hope that's been of use. If you've got a pickle, then please, uh, we'd love to hear what that is. I believe the phrase you're looking for is we'd love to tackle your pickle. We'd love to tackle, thank you for that. That, yeah. that, that. That's great because that creates the bit of the beginning of the podcast and a bit of the end. So it will look seamless to the audience, won't it? <laughs> Colin, we're not fooling anyone. <laughs> Uh, But if you've got a pickle that you'd like to tell us about, then just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. You'll see a big red button there. Uh, Just press the button, read out what your pickle is, and uh, we will deal with the pickle on the show. And if you don't want to be heard on the show, then just fill out the form that's on there and we'll read it out instead for you. And we look forward to talking to you next week. I'm off to tackle a pickle. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.